Listener supported. WNYC Studios. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. The name Steve Higgins sounds like a sitcom character. The earnest neighbor with thick glasses, the overly bright lieutenant on McHale's Navy. He's from, say, Des Moines and transplanted to New York. Steve Higgins is the straight man. The real Steve Higgins is all that, but also a comedic genius. He's my friend with 456 Saturday Night Live writing credits and counting. In fact, he's the guy in charge of the writer's room. Along with Lorne Michaels, Steve holds the fate of America's young comedy talent in his hands. Lorne and Steve decide who gets hired and who gets fired from the show. But he didn't become a household name until he joined Jimmy Fallon, The Roots, and the rest of the Tonight Show team in front of the camera, playing that venerable talk show character, the sidekick. So Steve has two jobs. At 4.30 every day, four days a week, Steve announces The Tonight Show, sticks around to play Jimmy Straight Man, and then runs back upstairs to produce that week's SNL. It's a heady life for a kid from Iowa who started a sketch comedy troupe with his brothers out of high school. Steve's kindness and humility have stayed as sharp as his comedy. So it was a joy when Steve Higgins agreed to join me on stage at Guildhall in East Hampton. Hello, hello, hello. I'm so excited. Thank you all for coming. Uh, let me just start out by saying that uh, lately I've been doing You Know Who uh, with all that crap. It's so pathetic. But anyway, uh, I actually said to our guest, I said, I, I just can't do it anymore. I texted him the other day. I go, so who's playing Trump this fall? And he goes, you are. And quite brilliantly, I might add. <laughs> so I want you to please welcome a guy that's a dear friend of mine one of the great, great writer, producers, and now a performer, Steve Higgins. Those are the kindest words you've ever said to me. <laughs> now, speaking of which, what was comedy in your childhood? Was it always class clown? And I had three brothers and a sister. And comedy, that's all it was. We never yelled. It was sarcasm, and which now I learn is bad. It's good to yell sometimes. <laughs> well, not too much, take my word for it. You know, well. <laughs> um, it was the lingua franca of our house. Burn somebody and get a big laugh, and you were the king of the house. I mean, it was the... Who was the king? My brother Dave was the king, I think. He was one of the quickest people I've ever met. Like, one time, there was this... Uh, I went to high school in uh, Des Moines, Iowa. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and there was this thing, uh, there was a new part of the gym, was the new part of the gym was built, and it, on each of the eight-foot by seven-foot piece of glass, there was a thing that said, Beat Ames, which was Ames, Iowa, where it was, like, we'd play them in the first high school thing. And he was walking by, saw that, ripped off the B and the A and the S, so it just said, Eat Me. <laughs> That's that kind of thing you go. 
Oh he's my. a mathematician. He's a mathematician. That's why I think that's why I love like those celebrity Jeopardy things. You know what I mean? Where it's like a word play on a <laughs> right, thing right, right. is all from that of me just going. How did you think right, right, that exactly, so exactly. fast? Like when they have a, a when Daryl would do Connery. Yes, yes. And the, when, like, I can't words. think of the exactly yeah. horrible, horrible. The, ra- the rape. This must be my lucky day. Yeah, I'll take the rapists for three hundred. Yeah. That's a therapist. the therapist. Yeah, the therapist. Yeah. Why would that be his lucky day? The rapist <laughs> yeah. for twenty. Oh, yeah. so, so when yeah. you were a kid. I mean, your brother's obviously, uh, it sounds like he's up that school. I grew up with guys like that. Yeah, uh, wasn't that your house too? You my family was things like, we'd be standing there on a corner with like a little gang of kids and we would play a game called He's Got a Gun. And it's a game you didn't announce, you just erupted into it spontaneously. <laughs> so we'd all be standing there, we'd be going, there's like six kids, all like 14 years old, 15, we go, so you see Tommy, did he come back from his vacation? And they live on a lake, right? He's got a gun! <laughs> and you jump on someone, you pick someone. One person would announce the game and it was like Sirhan Sirhan at the Ambassador yeah. Hotel. Everyone, he was the killer. He was the yeah. shooter. And we'd all pick the, and we'd all beat the crap. We'd stomp yeah. him on the ground. Yeah. As opposed to, you're going to wear that? Yeah. You have that kind of like. Yeah, that really my brother. Yeah, that, yeah, your that, brother. My brother was like wear that. that tie? If my yeah. girlfriend came over, he'd go, you put on weight. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Kind. And kind. what was TV, movies, did you got, were your family uh, out to the movies all the no, time watching no, TV we had, together? We, we did not have what is called money. Um, <laughs> so we would watch a lot of TV and then my mom one day uh, took the cord to the TV which kids were, to work with her <laughs> so we couldn't watch TV during the summer she took the cord. and my brother Mike took apart the whatever weird toaster thing remember the those with the, with the three prongs and he just rewired it and shoved it in the TV and we'd watch and mom was coming over and we'd, was like, yeah, we'd throw it away what kind of show did you watch? We watched the same as you. As I mean, we grew up in the same house, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, you'd watch. I mean, I remember when my mom said, and my mom loved comedy. So she would let, if Bob and Ray were on. Yes, she was super Funnier funny. than your dad? She was a funny one? Well, my dad, when I was in 10th grade, so, you know, when you're that, you don't, but my dad was funny, uh, but. In 10th grade, he what? He died when well, I was he passed in 10th away. grade. I'm sorry. But I remember one time, my little brother, Al, uh, was, uh, he would go. Al! Alan! Alan Joel Higgins, bring me my... (laughs) Bring me my... (laughs) He'd run the stairs, he'd be laughing his head. Yeah, yeah. Did you do this thing, too? Did you do that one? No. You never did that? I don't think I want to know. What's that? That's the thing where you go like this, and if the guy doesn't see you, you get to punch him. But if he puts his finger through it and breaks it, you get to punch him. So... Wow. It'd be one of those elaborate real... and punching games of like, wow. who won the Kentucky Derby? Charlie Horse, Spider Bites, <laughs> Dutch Rubs, uh, just anything that would inflict pain in a controlled manner. We laugh. We just hit did, each did other. Your mom, the... Did your mom, like in my house, my mom, you know, we'd have to speak in code. So we'd say vulgarity in code. So if someone was an effing asshole... We use the word fung, and we call him a zool. <laughs> so we'd be having lunch. We'd be having dinner at our kitchen table. Be like, Have you seen Larry lately? Did he come back from uh, upstate? Is he back? Yeah, he's a fung zool, right? We'd say lima. I told him the lima. You know what I mean? Just lima. Or lick me. We'd have all these like funky codes. Like lick me was lima. So you wouldn't get smacked in yeah, the back of the yeah, head. Yeah. And finally, my mother would be like, like you know, like after like one whole summer of this, my mother's like, what are, what are you saying? What is this lima? What, are you, what is lima? What did your mother do to control you guys? The silent treatment. 
That would be the big thing, because you didn't hit or I wish my mother gave us the silent treatment. You just go... Like that. And that was your dad tough? You. No. He had no. four sons. Yeah, but. What did you do? Just hand you cash? You he, said you had no money? No, we did. He would just go work a thousand different jobs and he, things like that. He, <laughs> he wasn't go, home. No, I was not yeah. home a lot. And so mom would just take care of the thing and she would make sure everything ran smooth and, you know, everybody did. And it would just be one time, oh my God. She goes, I'm going to come back. I want this house clean. That was the big thing, because our house was a pigsty. She left, and I don't know why we got in a pudding fight. <laughs> why the, why would you do that? I mean, it was definitely yeah. about dad's suit that was in the dry clean. It was like, I, to this day, if I think about that, it just gives me shivers. It was feathers, yes. laundry detergent, <laughs> exactly. pudding. Yeah, exactly. It was, we were gonna put a, it was like an episode of the Brady Bunch. It was like, yeah, that doesn't happen in real life. No kids getting pudding fights with tapioca pudding. Awful. My dad had four sons. He had no money. And, uh, uh, and other people, you know, in the neighborhood, they had something you could control and manage kids with. Yeah. Like, you know, the, my friends, people with money lived on the water. My friends' parents would be like, you know, if you don't get in there and do your homework, you're not getting any gas for the boat. Right. And I'd be like in my bedroom going, not going to get any gas for the boat. Wow. I'd do my homework if it got me gas for the boat. You can bet on that. And my dad had the fear program. Like, we'd go out at night, and my dad would be like, what time are you coming home? We'd be like, 10.30? God, please don't hit me. And he did Iron Finger. He had the finger. He'd like grind it into your, into your muscle of your chest. And he'd go, you come home at 10.30. Or I'm going to break every bone in your body. Wow. We'd be like, okay, we'll be here at 10.30. Oh, God, please. You know? I'm 10.30. Yeah. Well, that's, you have to, as a parent, you have to find things your children love. So you can take away from them, so you have some power. We had nothing. Yeah, we had no money. What are you going to do? Physical health. You're not going to take food. Yeah. Now, barely making rent. When do you decide you're going to you're going to try to get up in front of people? You formed a comedy group. Mm -hmm. And when? How old are you when you sit there and go, I want to get, but I want to try to do stuff in front of people? Ah, well, because we were all in plays growing up. There was a thing called Summer Up at a Workshop, which did Gilbert and Sullivan plays in Des Moines. And my sister joined that, and then everybody in the family joined that. So we were in all the plays in high school. We, you know, it was always... And my mom and my dad, I found out later, went to announcer school, my Aunt Pat told me, and my Aunt Jane. I didn't know about this. He went to an announcer. I'm an announcer. How weird is that? But my mom had, like, pictures of Lucille Ball autographs that she sent away. So show business was always... We knew no one in show business. Like, when we went to do show business, people thought we were crazy, because nobody from Des Moines... Except Cloris Leachman, except Cloris Leachman, um, when it would be in show business. It was just the craziest thing. So we did. Lauren my, wasn't scouting in Des Moines. No, he yeah. didn't show yeah. up in, yeah. in Iowa. At the club. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So what's the first thing you did? You got up in front of people. Well, for we did. Yeah, we did comedy. Strictly comedy. Who's we? Me and my brother Dave and a guy named Gruber. So it was the Higgins boys and Gruber. Wouldn't good name. And uh, we would. He was. They started a club like in the 70s, 79. Uh, they started a club to do comedy in Des Moines. And so they would perform in Omaha, the Spaghetti Works, in Des Moines, the Spaghetti, and spaghetti. they just, yeah, the Spaghetti <laughs> Works, they'd go there. And then they do circus, you play around. And so then we moved to LA in 84. So I joined the group, I, I was What was that like for you? Like, were you, were you gung-ho? Were you like, yeah, LA, yeah. No, I wanted to go to New York. Why? Because I, I, my whole life I wanted to live in New York. Because everything in the world was New York to me. It was like, 
you know, live television and, uh, you know, the, the street you knew, you know, like you go to New York and there's no culture shock, in my opinion. If you've seen French Connection, you've seen New York. <laughs> you go to L.A., and I love L.A., but I, it was never for me. It was like, this is Hollywood and Vine? Wait a second. I thought it was if all neat. If towering inferno, <laughs> yeah. you've seen L.A. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. And so we lived out there, and we performed and would do colleges and gigs like that. And then um, Joe Hodgson, who had um, MS Mystery Science Theater 3000, I don't know if you guys know that show, knew us. And he, they, uh, this place called The Comedy Channel, were doing shows and we, would, we had performed in clubs and stuff like that. And he goes, you guys would be good in a show. So he paid for us to go to Minneapolis and uh, shot a pilot and recreated our house. And we smoked cigarettes, drank coffee, and goofed off on this show. And that's how we came back to New York. And so, and there was Comedy Channel, then moved out for John, moved to LA. And then John Stewart, who I met at the Comedy Channel, said, hey, I'm doing a show. Why don't you come out and help me? Not the successful John Stewart show. Right. The show before the that. The really shitty John Stewart <laughs> yeah. show. And you so, wrote that one, yeah, and he, so he said, come on out and we'll go here. And we'll, uh, my brother was working on the show and we had, it was fantastic. And that got canceled in 95 when Farley and all those guys left. That was my first year at SNL. First year was when? 95. 95. So now, when, you, now, hosted, you, when you hosted the show, you had done the show more times than I had. That's right. Yeah. And you never uh, let me forget. <laughs> but, but, but when you come on the show in 95, like, how does that happen? How do you get, what's your first job? You're a writer? I think I was like head writer with Fred Wolf, maybe like they made you the head writer yeah. right out of the gate because I was How head writer at John Stewart show. Okay, so you so you have credentials where you're head writing a, a you know a serious show, a show that's on the air. So when you come and they poach you, you go to SNL. No, it got canceled. It was, it was canceled. canceled. So, so it was but like, when you come to Lorne and you come to SNL, you become the head writer. You and Wolf. Right. How long were you the head writer for? I don't know because titles, as you know, are nebulous there. Yeah. So I know I was head writer. Because now a while. you're like the, your title is like the head 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 writer. You're right. Like, right. Right. Yeah. Now I'm producer or something <laughs> like that. But Lorne was Lorne took didn't I think he switched? Uh, he didn't become executive producer. He went down to producer. And then I think Fred and I were head, co-head writers. And there's been other head writers. And he wanted to give the executive producer title to somebody else yeah. in lieu of paying them exactly. real money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, you have Joe executive Dixon. producer. Yeah. And I'm going to pay you $40 a day. What was it like for you, the transition? We were getting the shit kicked out of us every day. Every day was Saturday Night Dead. You'd read a article in American Heritage about the Battle of Shiloh, and they'd go, the Battle of Shiloh was long, but not as long as a Saturday Night Live sketch. And you're like, come on. <laughs> And it was just on the, they were just, a you know, and so it was, you're just, and you're scared because, you know, it's a real deal. It, you know, you're, you're sitting there and you're with all these people who know way more than you, but everybody was so kind, Shoemaker and Marcy Klein and Jim Downey was, everybody was so accepting and opening. In the foxhole with you. Exactly. Crazy but they, but they were Explain all, about the hours, what that does to people's lives. Oh, life. it does. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough. So I lived there, just stayed there in the city yeah. and then would see my wife would come in on Sunday. I'd see the kids and you just. for Christmas, Thanksgiving. Yeah, exactly. But you're there. You're living. Yeah. Now it's. But, it really has an effect on people's lives. I mean, you go to SNL and there's a weird camaraderie because they're in a submarine together for like week after week. I mean, no. you go to work. And, and you feel like you see somebody who you weren't in the cast with or wasn't even at the same time with you and it's like you're marines together or something yeah. like that you know what i mean it's like because it is such a soul crushing and soul exhilarating experience it is just strips and by show three of a three-week run or a four-week run there's no filter left i've seen people there they're right around the table and someone will look out the window and go people are skating on the skating rink <laughs> 
Christmas is coming. You know, and somebody's like, yeah, come back. So the guy has a penis <laughs> transplant. Yeah. And they go right back to the comedy coal mine, you know, but it's like they're in that bubble in that building and that unique building yeah. where, the, where the world of New York is out the window. And you know how, and even like for, it's the hard to leave. Yeah. yeah, when the tree goes the up. The tree goes up. And like, you just stay inside Christmas. more because you yeah. there's too many people. <laughs> we can't fight the crowds. Yeah. Yeah. We got to go out the back yeah. door now. We're just sleep here. Yeah. Now, uh, in the time you've been there, uh, there's the video right. department and there's the set design and camera and, and talent, uh, meaning the cast and their schedules and the hosts and the, there's a music department for the music. And you basically run the writer's department. Right, right, yeah, you, you, you've had writers, but you're the producer that oversees that whole And when, when, ho when people come in who are tough, they, they send me to meet them. <laughs> no. People who are rassles, <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, it's funny you should say that. But um, the, because uh, you, you are like that. You're kind of like, what's wrong? Come on. <laughs> yeah. Come on. I am like, you know what I am like? Did you ever read Seabiscuit? Your wife's having a baby. You can play Trump that yeah, night. Yeah, why not? Come on. He literally, he's like, they're like this. You've already had four babies. Yeah, hasn't the novelty worn yeah. off? You're going to, you know, Citizen again, Kane, yeah, you yeah. can watch again and yeah. again. TiVo it. TiVo it. Better view. <laughs> but in the time you've been there, now one of the things you do is you have to scout talent, because mm -hmm. you do this every, uh, explain to them that rhythm. This, the season ends in May, mm -hmm. and everybody takes a bit of a break, and then you gotta go out, you gotta go do what in the summer? Well, usually we go to, people go to LA, and I go, I go to Chicago now when Lauren goes, and we'll go see people every year, so we just know who's out there. In to the replenish the Yeah, in the sketch people's comedy world. Expire, they leave. Yeah, because it's a weird, sketch comedy is a weird, it's not stand-up, and it's not acting, it's like a merge of both. Especially SNL is like, it's not film, it's not TV, and it's not live theater, but it's all, you know what I mean? It's a very odd skill set. Why would you want to work anywhere else? <laughs> Why would you want to go do movies? You know what I mean? You yeah. sit there, they roll it again and again and again to no audience. Yeah. yeah. Alone. Dark theater. Well, I'm not making any money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in the movie business. Yeah. Now, um, now, for you, people who are in comedy world, they all, as the trades used to say, ankle uh, out to LA as quickly as possible. LA is LA still a big hub of comedy writing, and there's a lot of sitcoms out oh, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you have no desire. You you didn't want to go out there. No, you didn't. I, I like you. Didn't want to develop shows. No sitcoms. Mm -mm. I think once movies. I exceeded my dream so far. I hope my wife is not listening to this. That <laughs> my it was like why would I want to go anywhere else? Because it's not there's not one part of your brain that doesn't get used. You know what I mean? When you're doing right. the show, it's like, they're good. what's this sketch about? It's about the, you know, the Norman invasion. Well, I know a little bit about that, you know, or whatever it is. Right. And it's still amazing to me that some of you'll think of some crazy idea, Wednesday morning at noon, write it up, Thursday, Friday, it's done on Saturday. Yeah, they've got okay. costumes, they've got it's sets. Really the, beer, the, the makeup is amazing, the costumes yeah. are amazing, the sets are amazing. Louis and Jody, many, oh. many Emmys for all their oh, Louis quick and change. Jody, they've got to do this makeup very yeah. quickly. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's insane how good people are there. And I like living in New York because I think that it's, it's more for me, it's not a one industry town. You know what I mean? So it's like you'll meet some my neighbor's a banker and this guy's a plumber yeah. and this guy does this. There's you, a range of mountains. Yeah, there's to a climb range of mountains to climb and you know what real wealth is because it's not show business. You know what I mean? Right. And so you're in New York and you'll see, like, oh my God, look at that. And it's a different feel. And again, I, my brother's, my brother Al lives in LA. He writes uh, on shows. He loves it there. But you never had a desire to make films. I would develop. write films for some people. And, but it's like that thing of, 
SNL would consume so much of my time, yeah. and I'm really quite lazy. Right. I don't like working. I like you sitting. Like working? You do a lot of things. Yes. Yeah. Jerry Seinfeld said that to me. He goes, you don't like a lot of blank pages on the calendar, do you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, You're yeah. like a vaudevillian. Yeah. You want to book. I got to book, book everything. I got to book every show. Your joy get... is to be busy yeah. while you're talking to some of your phone. I'm and heading out to something. the opening of a Burger King. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> out in Trenton. I'm signing an autograph. Sitting. You'll call me. Every time you call me, you're busy. I'm just sitting yeah. there. Yeah. You call me. I go, what's going on? I'm busy. <laughs> well, it's like John Alexander, my friend, who's, who's very dear friends with Lauren, uh, he'd say to me, uh, I, they'd say, come on over, we're going to have lunch with Mick Jagger. And I'd say, well, I can't do that. I got to go to an event at Guild Hall. They were like, Jesus. <laughs> and like, you know, two weeks later, they'd be like, come on over, you know, McCartney's going to come over and have a... Uh, sing-along. Yeah, we're going to have a sing-along. <laughs> yeah. McCartney's going to teach us yeah. how to play the bass. Yeah. He's going to tell us stories about the Beatles <laughs> he's, he's that no one's gonna, known before. He's going to tell us the secrets of the Beatles <laughs> yeah. that nobody's ever heard. A dinner is going to be you and me and Obama. And he's going to play you some. And yeah. Barbara Streisand. Yeah. As if we're going to play you some tapes from the cavern that no one's ever heard before. McCartney's going to take us through a secret trap door where you got like a whole recording studio. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I can't. I got to go host a thing at Guild Hall. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, yeah. um. See, so the, the fact that you got me even to come here, <laughs> I don't like leaving my house. You know, like, SNL producer, writer, and Tonight Show announcer, Steve Higgins. If you're enjoying all the SNL talk, take a listen to Kristen Wiig, who joined me on Here's the Thing, for an exit interview of sorts. Every Saturday you do something that you're scared to do. I will miss that feeling. And of course you have absolutely no prospects whatsoever. I mean, you're really, it's a really ballsy move on your part because who the F is going to hire you? I don't know. I may open up a canoe shop. <laughs> the rest of that interview and more at heresthething.org. When we come back with Steve Higgins, more of my favorite SNL moments, and he tells the story of how he got started with Fallon on The Tonight Show. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Now, more from Steve Higgins on the hard work of hiring for SNL. That's the drag about being in comedy. How do you make somebody hate their hobby? You pay them. Because now you look at something, you can't... It's like, I'll go to my children's graduation and go, can't they speed this up? Why are they taking so much time? <laughs> Each person's name, they can't just get it to go. So you look at things differently. So I see it when people perform and they make me feel like an audience member. And you go, how did you come up with that? You know what I mean? Like, like Leslie just barrels over you. You know, AD does some just delightful thing that some, some crazy twist. Cecily will do some character that is like so deep that you're going like people from the town that she's doing will go, so did she spend a lot of time in Manx? You know what I mean? Like right. that. And then Kate will just come up with these but you know her Giuliani it's just ins it's oh just like you go like where that so to me it's very and the it's like an are, advent yeah. calendar yeah exactly <laughs> she said I'm doing all the talk shows yeah it's like an advent calendar so that's like a, just a, tr a treat and it's like all oh, the dudes Keenan come on Keenan Thompson oh god it's, it's like you know and, and just all the dudes are great I mean I've because I've seen I've been there for 20 years and you see these people, and it is the same thing. It's like, I love talent. 
That's why I love you. I love talent. People who are talented, you'll move heaven and earth so that their talent can be seen by people. And, and I think that's what my job is, to help them get out of their way so that they can be the best them they can be. So my notes hopefully are more like to get you to do what you need to do. Because you need directing. You can't yeah. say, I mean, I go out there, I'm like, it's this weird sound thing. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an acoustic thing. Like, you know, all my memories are all about line readings and somebody would do some little thing. You know, uh, I always tell the story about how I never laughed on the air ever until I worked with Phil Hartman, the late Phil Hartman. And there was a scene where I did my bad Marlon Brando. And there's an explosion at the chemical factory. And I'm taking Victoria Jackson with me and we're going to leave the town. And Phil Hartman is her father who runs the chemical plant. And right as we're about to leave and he's about to try to stop us, his sidekick comes in and says, hey, you know, tower number nine just blew, sir. You know, there's, chem- you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's a fog, there's a mist all over the, you know, the, the backyard. And Phil Hartman, like, completely never did it this way in any of the rehearsals. Then on the air, you see him grab me and go, take me with you. <laughs> and I spit up laughing on the air. I fucking lost it on the air. It's like Beck. I had to stop myself from laughing when Beck is Putin. And Beck says, uh, uh, you take this uh, elf on the shelf, put it on the mantle next to your internet router. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I should thank you very much for your gift, Vladimir. I'm sorry I didn't buy you a gift. And he says, no, Mr. President, you are the gift. <laughs> and he says that line, I just see every time I see Putin, he's like, you are the gift. And everything is their sound, their yeah. lines and readings and this and that. Now, speaking of Trump, because we're going to take some questions, speaking of Trump, now, you and I both know, and I think it's necessary for us to be honest with people here. That you voted for him? That I voted for <laughs> I thought you wanted to keep that secret. No, but let's face it, that in the halls of SNL, uh, you had like 40 people. I mean, I was told... You wanted Eddie Murphy over me to play Trump. Is that true? You wanted Eddie Murphy to <laughs> yeah. play Trump? Yeah, Eddie yeah. Murphy. Eddie yeah. Murphy come and do anything. Yeah, come on. Yeah. yeah. No, but, but when this comes about and we have to, uh, how did you feel? Not in terms of, because uh, uh, I think the SNL people are pretty mercenary. When Trump won the election, you hope that home that morning, go, hot damn, we're going to have some fun. <laughs> oh, no, I wish. Right. Um, that was crazy. Yeah. We did three shows. We yep. thought he was going to lose. Was, yeah, we yeah. thought everybody thought he was going to lose. My wife yeah. would go, "He's going to win. He's going to win." I go, "No, he's not." That's Your wife said yeah. that. Yeah, she knew it. She was on Facebook. I don't like the Facebook, so I stay off. Well, we did three shows. People say to me, "You know, your Trump really isn't that good." I go, "Well, I try to make it like as two dimensional as the man himself is." Uh, to my surprise, <laughs> I try to make it very like you know, just a couple of quick moves, and uh, the. Uh, Wait till they see this year's Trump. Wait till they see, oh yeah. Oh my God, it's going to be two, two, two <laughs> And totally redesigned. Like, like an Apple phone. Yeah. I mean, we're taking away the button. Yeah. Wireless charging. Yeah. You never know. Wireless <laughs> charging. But the, uh, no, but when we did it, I mean, I remember thinking to myself, well, I'm going to do it three times. And how much can I get hurt if I fuck yeah. up three Trump Come shows? Come on, you're goofing it off. Yeah, then all of a sudden I turn around and I'm like, oh, I got to do it 18 more times. It's like, whoa. No, ninth, whole 19 21. more times. 21's coming up. But when you do the show, obviously, because I learned this from Lorne, you do back off. There's some time where you sit there and go, well, we can't just like hit the guy with a cudgel yeah, well, all the also, time. Because that's the drag of it, is we try to be even-handed. You know what I mean? And it's hard. <laughs> it is hard. 
Like the best, like whatever it been the olden days when it was like Bush and Gore. Try to be fair yeah, to I'm either even side. Handed, okay. <laughs> it's hard though. It's very hard. You try to make, yeah, because you don't want to just, because it just gets boring just to pound somebody over and over yeah, and over Yeah, it is, again. it is tough. I mean, and you just go, there's got to be something, you know, it's just something that's not crazy. It's like a televangelist. They're hard to make fun of because it's just like, they're, they're already it's way ahead of you. It's enervating. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you, you'll come into my room, I'll like, change this, page nine, page 14, and you'd walk out and I'd be like, God, I hope a meteor hits this building right now <laughs> and just kills all of us. I just... I can't go out and do this goddamn show one more time. Please, God. Now, who are people who have left the show? Who are some of the ones who you really admire? Like the, the careers like Farrell and McKay mm-hmm. have worked really well together. Uh, and Tina and Carlock. Tina and Carlock. We're forgetting, we're forgetting. And then writers, too, like Mike Schur and people like that. It's like there's so many people. It's like if you go through an IMDb page and do a thing in comedy. I would say it's probably 80% of the people worked at SNL who were, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like a yeah. giant percentage. You forget like how Greg Daniel, you know, everybody Conan. And if they haven't done it, they've hosted it. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. a very weird, that's another reason I never need to go to LA or leave because everybody I know comes to visit eventually, either down on Jimmy or up on SNL. It's just like you sit there long enough. Hey, Zach Galifianakis, how's it going? <laughs> um, we're going to bring the lights up and take some <laughs> questions. Everybody got a their hand up. We got some mics in the audience. There's Mike Peters. I see Mike Johnson. Anybody got a question for us? Right here. Go ahead, sir. We have a right. Somebody, well, let's wait for the mic. That's a very casual stroll you have there, <laughs> Mr. Mike. Uh, when I first started with SNL, I was 25, 30. No problem staying up. Now I see SNL on Sunday morning. And I just wonder how you uh, deal with the demographics of your television audience. Well, I think that the, the, the thing that we learned when SNL, as Lauren went from a show to being an institution, um, because when, when I came there, Farley, Spade, all those guys, it was reviled. That New York Magazine cover. Yeah. And then they all, three years later, going, oh my God, that was the best years ever. <laughs> so whatever year you watched it in high school or college, that to you is the best. Everything before that is garbage. Everything after that is garbage. <laughs> yeah. So it's like a thing and you go through and, the, and it is the Democrat. It should be like the Simpsons where there's, you know, as Lauren calls it a big tent show where there's something for everybody. You know, there's a sketch that, that and also hopefully all the references are correct and the costumes are correct and every, so there's something to enjoy, but it is aimed at where the money is, not us anymore. What's the biggest F up you saw on the show live, where even you sat there. Because it doesn't happen that often, believe me. They were all very, very, very good and smart at what they did. But there must have been something you saw where you were like, oh God. One time, I think it was a Mikey Day sketch. It was for Centaur Vodka. Bruce Willis was hosting, who's a delight. And uh, he just got the cards mixed up and walked out in the middle of the sketch. And I was like, (laughs) what? You forget, you know what I mean? Because cars are, it's very confusing, all these things like that. You didn't do it on purpose. Remember we did that on the air with the Trump thing where we ran out of the shot that oh, we had to run back God. in? Oh, my God, I forgot about that. Yeah. So that person that fucked up Bruce Willis, they're still there, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're hot. they got a promotion. <laughs> they fucked me up on Hey, it makes show. good television. Who else? Right back row. I'm a Leo. <laughs> <laughs> so, has there ever been a time where you could not come up with anything? Have you ever been really stuck? Yes, a lot. For this show. It is like the muse hits you 
and the muse can leave you and you just hope it comes back someday and you'll be sitting there. And I don't write, um, even when I did write, I always liked writing with people because I'm in my, as I tell new writers, you can either be paid to laugh or be paid to be miserable. Your call, up to you. And I always chose to, I would lay on a couch and, you know, Ken Word or Mike Schur or Carlock would sit at the typewriter and we'd do sketches and we'd think of, you know, we'd do stuff. But the, the thought of me writing alone in a room, I did that. I wrote yeah. pilots and things like that and I hated it. So it was more fun to goof off. Yeah, like, in the room. It was more like you do in real life. It was like I wanted to put what I would do at home with my brothers. I'd be more Salieri than Mozart. And there is stuff that ends up, you know, on the cutting room floor, so to speak. Yeah, because if you're laughing too, reason. if we're laughing too hard at something, we know it's not going to make it because we are jaded. Yeah, <laughs> you know. I mean, when we first did Tony Bennett show, Paul Appel wrote all the Tony Bennett show sketches, and the very first one didn't get on air. So I'm Tony Bennett. I'm hosting my talk show. We're going to bring out this rabbi who's written a book about the looting of Jewish art and treasures by the Nazis during World War II. And I say, Nazi gold, this great, 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 great book written by my first guest, Rabbi Gershon Fetterman. Come on out here, Rabbi Fetterman. And I say, so you wrote this book, and I want to ask you my first question, what's your beef with the Nazis? (laughs) And the Jewish holidays were that time of the show. Humans and, and, did and not like it. He yeah. goes, maybe we'll cut this one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, there's some great stuff, but maybe not such a good no. idea to put <laughs> yeah, it on exactly. the air. Yeah. You know, it's weird. Comedian Who else plan. we got? Over here. Trump aside, who's the funnest person for both of you that you've made fun of? You know, we, we, we've had a lot of fun. But the greatest moment uh, for me was when we got Tony Bennett to come on and do the Tony Bennett show. And I cried. When we were done, I, yeah. I cried. So we leave, and he goes to the cast. Everybody wants a picture with him. He's got his assistant there with a suit bag. He's like a real show business, old school guy. And he turns to the cast. They take the picture of, of him by the elevator bank. And he's leaving. He goes, I want to say thank you all very much. You kids are fantastic. That was a million-dollar night. Unironically. Unironically. I was getting married to my wife, who is a little bit younger than I am. A little and bit? His, and his wife... <laughs> And and, and we go to his school out in Queens to do this benefit. And we're sitting there, and the woman who's the principal of the school that he runs says, she's getting married. I saw in the paper that she's getting married. And I said, yes, I am. I said, well, my wife is a lot younger than I am. And I said, but you you know a little bit what that's like, Tony. And he's there with his wife, Susan, who's even younger than, uh, even more of an age difference. And I said, you know, that worked out for you. And without blinking, he looks at me and goes, I always tell people, consider the alternative. <laughs> I said, okay. Yeah. All right. I'm going to go with that. Yeah. Consider the alternative. Yeah. I said it to the priest during my yeah. wedding. Consider the alternative, Father. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, who else? A couple more? Man. Right here. Right here. I'm curious how you ended up on The Tonight Show. That was what I was going to ask next. I ended up on The Tonight Show because... When Jimmy was on the show, uh, we would just do bits and goof off constantly. And we had an affinity towards that. And we would, you know, I wrote Jeopardies that Jimmy was in and Barry Gibb talk show and th- whatever he'd, you know, Mick Jagger at the mirror. And I'd, because Jimmy, to me, what I loved about him the most was everybody thought of him as like this cute little mop top creature. 
And we knew him as this well of comedy knowledge. And so when he started that, you know, it's, I, you know, he goes, you want to be my sidekick? I go, if it's okay with Lauren, because I still work on SNL. And so Lauren gave it his blessing, so I'll well, run Lauren's downstairs. Lauren's the producer of both shows. Yeah, exactly. Like on Wednesdays, I'll have to run down from read-through. I'll miss like four sketches. I'll run down, do the show, and run back up. Because I'm only out there for... Ladies and gentlemen, Jimmy Fallon. Ha, 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 yeah. And then as soon as that guest comes on, I'm out of there. You know, I'm back upstairs to my day job. You're getting what, like seven and a half, eight million a year for that? N- I, nine an episode. <laughs> nine an episode. So. Who else we got? Thank Let's God Trump more. got elected. Back there, right there. I see Where? her. There you go. Given that there are so many times when either candidates or elected officials are so over the top, do the writers sometimes feel kind of superfluous? <laughs> you you did that you one. You understood that question, didn't you? I think that it is the hard thing, as you said, of Trump. It's like when, you go, when he goes farther than you would have ever gone. <laughs> like the, the, when you're telling them about the McKay sketch, that guy now would have won. Yeah. The guy wiped his ass with the flag and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. So it's like... It's yeah. hard to keep it real. Uh, who, who else we got? We got a couple more. Yes, right here. And was somebody up top? Somebody, we're going to get you right over here. Then we're going to have you shout. I mean, shout. All right. Well, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Kelsey Grammer actually announced that there was going to be a reboot of Frasier. And uh, the question is, in this current climate of comedy, how do you think a Frasier reboot will be received? And should the TV industry stop relying on reboots and come up with more new material? Well, yes, but I, I think it is, I find that besides the, you know, it's just hard to get anything made that somebody's going to say yes to. And I do find, I'm guilty of this, if I flip through and me TV comes on and there's some show from my childhood before all this Meshuggah stuff was happening, I will sit there and watch it and go, Oh, that was a good time. It will, it'll take me out of this. So I think there's a, also a giant nostalgia thing, but do I wish they'd quit making more? Who, who am I to say? I'm just a sketch writer, apparently. But I think that, the, the, you know, obviously these reboots, it's like if you think it's unoriginal, they don't care. Is there an audience for that? They Except for Comcast. Comcast cares. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't, they don't care that people might criticize that reboot thing if they get... Uh, 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 David Hyde Pierce, if they get all the original gang back together, what could be wrong with that? Because those guys were really, really, really funny. Hmm. But uh, um, now please stand up and give us your best operatic performance. <laughs> It was Chris and Sarah who had another song, and then uh, Leonard Cohen had just died, and so that's how the Hallelujah thing came in. But that wasn't until Dress, wasn't it? Can we do it air? We did a different. Yeah. yeah, it was like a very, very up until the last minute. You know, it was. Lauren crazy. likes the sweet when it works. Sometimes yeah. we do some very tender things, and they're very kind of if it's of the right moment. Everything I look at critically, I look at divided into three parts. So a third of the shows suck. A third of the shows are okay, and a third of them are really wonderful. And if you hit that march, if you're batting 333, then you're doing well, because to grind that out, you know, you're, you're in a room on a Monday, 
and uh, uh, then the show is on the air and the sets are built and you're broadcasting a live TV show on a Saturday. It's, it's nothing short of a miracle. And when you host, when you've hosted a I few don't times, Thursday. you come, the writers uh, tell the ideas to the host on Monday, and when it's Alec, they don't put out any effort. Because they go, we'll get it, we'll get it. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> Hang on. What do you got? That's okay. <laughs> I will never forget. Downey is there. He's the head writer. Downey comes to me, and I go, uh, so what's the monologue? Because I was always obsessed. If we don't have a good monologue, it might be tough to recover from that. I'm like, what's the monologue? It's like Thursday night. He's like, oh, I got something great. I, I don't want to show it to you now. <laughs> but it's so great. I mean, I, I, I don't want to. Well, I'm still kind of playing with it, but it's going to be really good. Friday comes. I'm like, can I see the monologue? Oh, it's so good, man. It's really good. He doesn't have a fucking idea what we're going to do. <laughs> and then finally, we, he hands me the monologue on a Saturday. I just got divorced from my first wife, and I come out there, and he has me come out there, and I'm like, you know, this is a time of transition in my life, and, uh, uh, you know, I've had a lot of changes in my life, but one thing that's always been there for me and like a home for me is Saturday Night Live, and out comes Daryl Hammond as Clinton. And he comes out, and he goes, Alec Baldwin, Alec Baldwin. He said, you got to put your oars in the water and row your way toward the island of Punani. <laughs> wow. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, I mean, I couldn't believe it. He goes, you're going to be having it hot and cold on tap, my brother. And he starts saying all these vulgar euphemisms. Um, but I want to say that uh, you, know, you are, uh, besides being unbelievably funny, and God knows you are, but you're also such a gracious, gracious colleague. Whenever I've done that show, I mean, you're one of the main reasons I come back, because uh -oh. even though uh, we don't enjoy always uh, Trump himself or, you know, embodying him, it's been such a joy to work with you these last few years, and thanks for doing the show with me. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The incomparable Steve Higgins of Des Moines' finest sketch comedy troupe, The Higgins Boys and Gruber. I'm proud to call him my friend. This is Alec Baldwin. Here's the thing is a production of WNYC Studios. <laughs>